Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Good afternoon and thank you, Mr. Dorsey, for uh, being before the Energy and Commerce Committee today. The company you and your co-creators founded 12 years ago has become one of the most recognizable businesses in the world. Twitter has reached that rarefied place where using the service has become a verb. So back in 2018, Jack Dorsey, who's the CEO of Twitter, was hauled before Congress to testify on pretty much election interference and Twitter's role in it. Thank you, Chairman Walden, Ranking Member Plun, and the committee for the opportunity to speak on behalf of Twitter to the American people. Uh, He appeared before both the Senate and the House. We're very concerned. I'm very concerned about the role that the Russians played in attempting to undermine democracy. I I don't think Russia elected President Trump, but I think it's obvious they're trying to sow instability in democracy. And sitting behind him, just sort of over his right shoulder, um, if you're watching from home, was Vidya Gatti. Vidya Gatti. Gatti. She heads up trust, she heads up safety, she heads up their whole legal operation. And your position at Twitter is? I lead trust and safety, legal and public policy. That's a lot. A former Twitter employee uh, described the dynamic to me as, if you think of Jack being the president of Twitter, Vidya is the chairwoman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And she's really sort of a right hand to Dorsey on a lot of these tough policy questions. I'm Jeremy Siegel. This is Politico Dispatch. And today, as the heads of Twitter, Google, and Facebook testify before lawmakers once again, Nancy Scola on the woman helping make some of Twitter's biggest decisions that could have a significant impact on next week's election. Who is Vijaya Gaudi? So Vijaya Gaudi was born in India. Um, she came to the United States when she was two years old. She talks about growing up in Texas as an immigrant and says it's not as charming as it sounded. She had a little bit of a rough time there kind of fitting into the local culture and community. Um, she tells a story about how when she was a kid, she later found out that her dad, who was an out-of-work chemical engineer, went around the neighborhood selling insurance and was told by his boss that he needed to go see the local Grand Dragon of the Ku Klux Klan to get permission to work in the neighborhood. She talks about how she kind of like took that experience with her as sort of a way of thinking about some people just are marginalized in society. Some people just have a tough time. And she talks about how when she came to Twitter, she thought, okay, these are tools we have available to us. How can we level the playing field a bit so that people like her father, who, you know, has has a little bit of a challenge having a voice, has more of a voice online. She went to NYU. She went to law school, she said, because she wanted to be able to defend herself, defend her community. She moved out to Silicon Valley and worked for many years just as sort of a, you know, regular old attorney in Silicon Valley, which, you know, <laughs> they're, they're all over the place. Ended up at Twitter in 2011. And she was a corporate attorney. She worked on mergers and acquisitions. It's one of the world's most recognized logos. Everyone relies on Twitter, from presidents and popes to celebrities and, well, you and me. But now Twitter has decided it's time to feather its own nest. And eventually got recruited to help the company go public. The global social networking giant has announced, with a tweet of course, plans to go public by listing shares on the New York Stock Exchange. And they said, okay, Vidya, we're putting you in charge of working the IPO through the process. It turned out very well. It was very smooth. Twitter is now a publicly traded company. Their IPO was a huge success. 
Today, their stock opened at $26, and then it reached a high of $50. And so she got a lot of credit inside Twitter, both at the senior management level and with the board of saying, okay, this is sort of a steady presence in a company that up to that point had been fairly chaotic. So fast forward a few years, and Gotti becomes CEO Jack Dorsey's kind of right-hand person at Twitter, running things behind the scenes. But at the same time, the company comes under fire over interference in the 2016 election, misinformation, hate speech online. And all the while, she's helping decide how they treat this stuff, what they take down, what they keep up. What are some of the biggest decisions that we've seen from Gotti and her team involving Twitter's content? So a big decision that Vijay Gotti was involved in in recent years was kicking off Alex Jones, this right-wing provocateur from the platform. Facebook and YouTube have already taken action against Alex Jones. Now Twitter is following suit. Now the ban occurred after Jones insulted a CNN reporter during this week's social media hearings and then he live streamed that footage to Periscope. I am here because there is a concerted effort by the Democratic Party and multinational corporations and big tech to silence conservative and nationalist and populist voices ahead of this critical midterm election. It's a decision Twitter made after years, really, of getting yelled at by a wide range of people for not taking more action of Alex Jones. And actually, they acted after some of the other platforms had done so. And that was kind of a tipping point for Twitter. They kind of got comfortable, you know, cracking down on this sort of thing and started doing it more and more. The big, big one uh, that's gotten Twitter a lot of attention and earned it, pretty much earned it an executive order from the White House in May, was that it flagged a pair of tweets that President Trump had posted, calling into question the validity of mail-in ballots. President Trump hit back at Twitter today, accusing them of censoring conservative voices after the social media giant took the extraordinary step of attaching fact checks to two of the president's tweets filled with false information. They try to silence views that they disagree with by selectively applying a fact check, fact check, F-A-C-T, fact check. President signed an executive order aimed at stripping away legal protections from social networks so they could be sued or punished for the content their users post. But it sort of points to the stakes of some of these decisions. They're not just sort of one-off things, you know. The future of communications law sort of hangs on them in the United States. Even in some ways, the election might hang on them, right? The decisions these companies made about who can tweet what, who can post what, in the days right before this very high-stakes election, they could be pretty consequential. This is a Fox News alert. We have just heard from the CEO of Twitter, Jack Dorsey. He tweeted this, quote, our communication around our actions on the New York Post article was not great. And blocking URL sharing via tweet or DM with zero context as to why we're blocking, unacceptable. Huh. Writes like a child. Manages the company like one, too. Today, Jack Dorsey is testifying before lawmakers again. So are the heads of Facebook and Google. I'm guessing Gotti won't be right behind Dorsey this time, obviously, because of COVID. But I'm sure a lot of her work behind the scenes will still be talked about. And one big thing that's especially expected to get some heat from Republicans is how Twitter handled this disputed New York Post story alleging improper business ties between Joe Biden 
and his son Hunter. So how do social media companies fit into all of this? Well, if you try and share this New York Post article on Twitter, either as a post or as a direct message, you see this message on your screen, telling you that Twitter and its partners say it is potentially harmful information. Twitter blocked people from sharing the story and then ended up reversing course and letting users share it again. What is the line of criticism we might see on this in today's hearing? So the criticism on the right of these companies is that they just take a harder line, tougher approach to conservative voices than they do to liberal voices, to voices on the left. False and libelous stories, and they knew they were false too. They knew they were false. They were never taken down by Twitter or Facebook or the mainstream media, never once. Yet with Biden today, they take negative posts down almost before they even go up. They're trying to protect him. They're trying to protect Biden. The challenge is, and today's hearing probably will be no exception, is that the argument very often boils down to, are you intentionally biased? Are you, Twitter, intentionally biased against Republicans? And Twitter says no. (laughs) Facebook says no. And the argument never goes past that to think, okay, are the decisions you're making about how people should tweet, how people should post and not post, do those tend to have a ripple effect that more harms conservatives, more harms Republicans than it does people on the left? It's just a discussion we've not really had to this point. And now we're, you know, a handful of days, less than a week before the election. We're probably not going to get that sort of substantive dissection at this point. At the end of the day, a lot of the criticism of these companies' policies is that there's potential for just a couple Silicon Valley executives to be deciding what millions of Americans do or do not see or can and cannot share online. I guess in Twitter's case, that could be Dorsey and Gotti. With that in mind, do you think the American people can trust these companies to handle an election day, an election week that experts are warning could be riddled with misinformation? Not really. And part of that is just the volume of content that they deal with is overwhelming, right? So there are billions of tweets posted every week. Facebook's dealing with just an enormous volume of content day in and day out. For them to actually be able to patrol that stuff successfully, it's probably asking too much of the companies. I mean, you can definitely make the argument that they haven't even attempted to do it very well. But at some point, the country's either going to have to say, okay, we need to put rules in place that in some way give these companies structure to deal with that makes it easier for them to make these calls, or we get more comfortable with accepting that, as the companies say again and again, we're going to make mistakes, we're going to let stuff through, we're going to ban stuff that shouldn't be banned, and we're just sort of learning on the fly. At some point, it seems we might have to just get comfortable with that being the case if we want these global social networks that we can post on and see what we've posted immediately. Nancy Scola. Thanks so much for talking with me. Thank you, Jeremy. Also today, a federal worker union is suing over a new executive order issued by President Trump that they say will strip civil service and due process protections from some federal workers. In a lawsuit filed in the D.C. District Court, the National Treasury Employees Union argues that Trump's order, which reclassifies certain policymaking employees, will, quote, radically reshape the civil service by drastically increasing the number and type of employees who are subject to dismissal without adverse action rights. 
Critics fear the change would make it easier to remove policy experts and career civil servants who do not agree with the administration's policies. And on Monday, the chair of the Federal Advisory Council, a Trump appointee, resigned from his post in protest, warning that the order was, quote, clearly an attempt to require the political loyalty of those who advise the president. And Joe Biden appears to be maintaining his single-digit lead over President Trump in Nevada. According to a New York Times-Siena College poll released on Tuesday, just a week from Election Day, 49% of likely voters in the swing state prefer Biden, while 43% favor Trump. Former Democratic presidential nominee Hillary Clinton won the state's six electoral votes by 2.4 percentage points in 2016. But President Trump has been working to flip Nevada as Biden gains ground in several Midwestern swing states and some Southern battlegrounds that Trump took four years ago. Subscribe to Politico Dispatch wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, check out some of our other shows like Nerdcast, Women Rule, Pulse Check, Politico Energy, and Global Translations. I'm Jeremy Siegel. Thanks for listening.